We're back. Finally, it's here. Season two of the Digest Show brought to you by Black Rectangle Collective. Josh and I are so happy to be back with you. And we have got a new modern classic to start the season. We got Fincher. We got Sorkin. We got Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. We got Jesse Eisenberg. We got freaking Justin Timberlake. And for our first foray into celebrity controversy, we have Flesh Eating Army Hammer on today's program. So, without further ado, I give you season two premiere of the Digest Show. Hit it! Joshua, welcome to season two! Perfect conversation piece. Before we get started, I um sorry, this is kind of personal, but I just wanted to make sure about some stuff. It did you get my Farmville request the other day? Uh I didn't, uh, because I don't use Facebook. Oh, so you didn't get my Candy Crush new high score? No, I didn't. Didn't happen to didn't happen to catch my passive aggressive hyper dramatic political post towards Geared towards my extended family? I didn't see that. But did you see the status I changed? It started with an ellipsis, insert Taking Back Sunday lyric, and with an ellipsis. Status change. I didn't see that either. All of these are vignettes from my past. I am no longer a Facebook user either. But on the season premiere of the Digest Show, season two, we are diving in to quite possibly the most important film of the 2010s, The Social Network, directed by David Fitcher, written by Aaron Sorkin, scored by fucking Nine Inch Nails, Atticus Ross. Boom. 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 We got a great, we got a great cast we're going to get into. We have historical relevancy. This is a wide swatch. This is a breath. We're going for it. Yeah, we took a big bite. We took a big bite, and I think we're going to chew it down. Let's digest it. Oh. So, per tradition, let's start season two off and our first film off with a back of the box. But on this one, it's a little augmented because I joined Josh on the special features train, and I couldn't help myself but purchase the special edition Blu-ray edition of The Social Network, released in 2010. And a little surprise for the back of the box segment it's the front of the box, y'all. And it is front to the, the point. It is simple. A lot of the times we do back of the box, we like it because it's austere. It's from it's a video store reference. It reminds us of standing there in the video store and getting a synopsis of a film. This one is the front of the box, and it's about 12 words. Mm. Don't mind if I do? Take it away. You don't get to 500 million friends without making a few enemies. Bam! This movie is about Facebook, folks. This this movie's a story about ambition, about rise and fall, about historical context. It's about friendship. It's about uh, the technology. It's about how we communicate as people. It's about ego. It's a commentary on modern times. Yes. What yes. do you What do you remember the first time or first time you heard about this movie? Saw the trailer. 
What what's your take me there? Take me there, please. Yeah, I actually I had one of those uh late night revelations. Like no shit, this came to me like as I was trying to go to sleep last night, and I remembered where I first saw this movie. And I it's so cool. It's like so perfect for this film. And I realized also that this film is one of the films that really started like opening me up to like politics and all kinds of things because I went to I went to college right out of high school after I graduated in 08, and then I went to a university starting in January of 2011. And the first week that I went to that campus, there was this crazy fucking snowstorm, and the whole campus was practically like closed. I but was there. The student union was playing the last movie they had had from the previous year, and they were playing it for free to anybody who was stuck on campus. And it yeah, was I remember that. Network. It was the fucking oh, that's network. cool. And I went, I, me and my roommate went to go see it. That's I had, I remember that week. Yeah, right. I know you I, would. I went to go see Harry Potter. Ah, hey, it's worth it. <laughs> it's worth that's it. cool though. That's a cool memory. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember. Mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I mean, it's just the college. You, you're out. You're like you're it's in perfect. college. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Perfect. Nice. Yours trumps mine. I just remember, so I graduated a year after you. You're a year older than me. I remember around the same time, so the first episode of season one, we did a film that was really important to us, There Will Be Blood, where we first started getting into sophisticated stuff and like film and appreciating things. And I remember seeing the trailer for The Social Network. I remember seeing the poster at the at the theater. I don't remember what yeah. I was seeing, but I remember thinking, I wasn't super familiar with David Fincher's work. And now... Now and <laughs> the dogs are barking. Uh oh. Now looking back on it, it's such a Fincher esque, clean cut, modern looking poster. And I remember it catching my eye and thinking, huh, I'm already over Facebook, but I know that it's a story that is yeah. relevant to my generation and people my age. Yeah. And it was this young actor on the on the cover of it. And I think it says the uh, on the the poster I saw, I remember it says the on the actual uh, booklet for the the special features it says punk prophet genius billionaire trader I believe that's the the poster I saw and I just remember thinking like I kind of I I'm interested in something that serious now and I just graduated high school Facebook was a part of my life um, but, but at that time even that young I, I was kind of having second thoughts about Facebook Pe even in 2010 people were starting to like hold a fist to the air and start deleting their Facebook and shit. And so yeah. I remember, but also thinking that's going to be a cool story. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I yeah. was one of those people with their fists in the air, like, and basically for me, what I realized and I like rewatching the movie, I realized that to, to steal from Rooney Mara's like poignant performance, mm -hmm. uh, I realized Facebook was written in ink and I thought it was written in pencil, you know, like I thought, when I turned 22 or 23, if I wanted to, I could just delete the shit and it would go away. But that's not the truth. And, you know, so about the age 20, 21, I just real, I just kind of stopped using it. And then about a year after this movie came out, I deleted it for whatever that's worth, you know. Yeah. But, I, um, yeah. Uh, but I wanted to say, like, I think that you pointing out that poster, it's something I remember, too, the marketing campaign. And I remember thinking that. The movie was going to be like a, a, a Mark Zuckerberg glorification picture, you know, yeah. and and 
the reason I think this movie stands up is because it's not. It's not a Zuckerberg puff piece, and it's also not a like Zuckerberg hate piece either. It's it somehow does this neutral thing, you know, but but it shows you how much of an asshole, but also how much of a dedicated genius in ways. You know what I mean? So it, it, it for sure. It's, I don't know. It, it stands the test of time. I think. I think Fincher's filmmaking. I think the score and how modern that is. Um, it lends itself to aging, but the the film, the the relevancy in which it's aged is so powerful because the story is still unfolding. So even in the last like two or three years, the 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 story on Facebook has changed. Oh it's, yeah. It's completely different than what it was 10 years ago, which, by the way, this movie came out 10 years ago. Which is fucking nuts. And it's still, it obviously looks very modern and like it could have come out today and everything. Yes. And we're going to get into the filmmaking portion of it that makes this Mm -hmm. film have a lot of legs. But I think the reason story-wise that it holds up is because, again, that story is still changing. And, you know, we may have wanted to delete Facebook. I, I might have wanted to delete it because I might be a natural contrarian, which is well documented on documented on this show. But I also, like, loved Facebook in high school. And I loved messaging people and sharing stuff about my band and posting what I thought made me mysteriously cool yeah. artsy dude statuses. And we then I did. moved in. Oh, yeah. And then I moved into like this other phase of it where I was like, this is dumb. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, at its essence, Facebook was a good thing. Sharing community. And maybe we're going to get to the origins of it. That was that even really the point of it. Um, <laughs> but it, but in a <laughs> but in any case, it again, the story still changed. Like Facebook was on CNN being grilled by senators and shit. But did they share people's data? Yeah. It's a. And it's a long-lasting effect. Did they sway an election. I mean, like, yeah. not not believe or not believe. You know, whatever you go do, do your own research. But seriously, like, just the fact that that's in Congress and they're there because they potentially had an effect on an election. That's incredible. That's incredible. And that's from, a, do- then, from that's, a dorm room window. And not even a twenty-year-old company. Not even a twenty-year-old company. This is insane. This speed. And from a dorm room window to like the Senate floor. And and I think this film of the past 20 years is it has to be on a like I'm going as high as as conclusive as top five, how important the story is. And, you know, there are nuances to it that may or may not be super historically accurate. And that's something we just have to accept as film viewers. But the the the, the essence of the story and the entrepreneurship and the battle they're having with sincerity and Sean Parker and what that means um, and money and who are the big players are. It is kind of a quintessential 2000 to 2020 story. And I think it will be something, a film that we show people to let them understand the kind of questions as a generation and before and after, you know, give or take a few years that we'll, we will, that we will tell people what we've been asking ourselves during that period. It kind of sums it up in a beautiful way. Yeah, and I think that I think that in 2010 that this is this movie is ahead of itself in in realizing that it could focus on the simple vanity that led to the origin, the vanity that led to that leads that led to it catching fire and leads to it sustaining itself with what uh, I looked at 2.8 billion users. 
There now. are these bench, yeah. There are these benchmarks. You know, the the front of the DVD says five hundred million people, but even in the beginning of the origin story, I think it's uh, is it like twenty thousand hits or something arbitrary like that that he corrects Rashida Jones' character. Several people are corrected, like in one night of a college community. Like it happens so goddamn fast. Like yeah, so so beyond people's comprehension. Even mm-hmm. after the fact in litigation and in de- depositions, like, oh, did you mean a few zeros less than that? In in retrospect, analyzing the situation, like that must be wrong. It's like, no, this happened that fast. And I think that speaks to the fact that there was a there was a vacuum for there was a need for something like that. Because the world was changing so quickly, mm-hmm. and this dude had the foresight to capitalize on an idea, whether or not it was his in- entirety originality, I think we should talk about. But um, yeah, at the end, it's, it, it's just fascinating. Sure. I mean, do you want to talk about that really quick while we're still talking about like things that are, you know, kind of outside of the film, if you will, you know, just ideas? Sure. Yeah. What you got? I mean, so I think one thing that you just said is like, is something that the world needed, but I agree completely. But I also think that, you know, there's the idea of, did he steal this idea from the, the Winkle Vi as he likes to pronounce it, you know? Um, it's like, yeah, sure. You did just the same way as they stole their idea from MySpace or whoever, like, honestly, it was, fuck them. Yeah. Fuck. I mean, I, I agree. I completely agree. They don't, they don't deserve that settlement. Like again, like he says in the, I mean, it was an apt metaphor. The everybody who makes a chair doesn't owe everybody who ever made a fucking chair like royalties after that. Like, but also, oh, sorry. Well, I was just gonna say, but like, it's funny nowadays how Facebook wants to not be that. They want to be like a publisher so that they can say what they can and can't do. Because if they became like a idea, like a utility, like electricity, you know. Like it would be tough for them, but um, yeah, I mean, I just think I think that it the, the one thing that I wanted to get to is for me is I went back and forth on this, but the thing that really gets me is where I really do think that he actually did kind of rip them off is he mocked them for wanting to do a dating site, right? But then it's the realization of the relationship status in the computer lab that makes him finish Facebook. And when he's explaining it after all the cake and watermelon, he knows that everybody is going to flock to Facebook because they're fucking lonely and they're looking to get with someone else or find out if they can know more and chase that, that intimacy, that, that curiosity of people. And he knows that and he, and he like capitalized on it. And I think, so I just, that was the thing that kind of brought me over to the side where I think he did rip them off. Did they deserve to win money from him? No, fucking no, you know, but my thought on it is like these us first of all, can I do a little personal segue? Yeah. So as film lovers and, and best friends, Josh and I are a colloquial back and forth, our vernacular, like our inside jokes are pretty much like fifty percent music related and fifty percent film related. And they're all great. But one of my favorites, whenever someone has to take a piss, Josh says Gotta go visit the the Tinklevoss twins. And it's from the, and it's from this movie, and I love it. I think there's a right. It's true. I think there's a great quote when I think you get frustrated with with the the Winklevoss twins or however the fuck you pronounce their name. 
But but Zuckerberg has that quote. He says, this is the first time in their entire lives. Yes. That hasn't gone exactly how they wanted. And if you take a step back and look at it, like they see themselves as businessmen and like an inherently expert businessman. And they just got they're <coughs> they're playing the intellectual property card. Yeah. yeah. It's like, really? Yeah. Like it, you you it, had an informal meeting with someone over like a sandwich in the foyer of a secret club and like they got played. And the again, fact that Yeah. No, no, continue. No, I'm just saying like the fact that I think that it there was a settlement outside of court. It probably was like a fingernail's worth of money to Mark Zuckerberg. I think it, it was, was like 60, it, 65 60, million is what the movie quotes. Like take it. Cool. Yeah. Like yeah. fuck them. Oh, that that literally is an, uh, uh, that's nothing, you know. That's a tip if Mark Zuckerberg wanted it to be, but um Got about it. <laughs> um I just think that I think that yeah, you're trying to pull this intellectual property thing. It's like again, all you did was take again, fucking remember MySpace. All they did was take MySpace and make it where you have to have a harvard.edu email address to to basically to do this and we're going to clean it up a little bit and make it like a little bit more friendly, right? That's all they fucking did. They took somebody else's shit and moved off of that and he took their shit and said, "You guys are being stupid. I'm going to do it this way." And fuck you, you did. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think don't, uh. I think to kind of wrap this train of thought up, it's like they were thinking small potatoes in Harvard, and Mark Zuckerberg oh, yeah. was immediately thinking worldwide enterprise. He saw he he at least saw the the it didn't have to just be Harvard. No, he. I agree with that, hundred percent, hundred percent agree yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad we did a little kind of background cultural you know uh relevance to like what this film really means to social media and like mm-hmm. what what kind of the goals were here should we move yeah. on to the week's director Ooh. dude oh. yeah. oh. top dog dude this is a top fiver for me easy 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 david fincher david fincher david fucking fincher okay i'm so glad i joined you on the special features train for the, dude. For the next episode this is a good one to get some special features in. I mean, seriously. Yeah. So David Fincher, um, it, he has a really interesting career arc. In the late 80s, the majority of the 90s, David Fincher is making commercials and music videos. That's what he's known for. And like that, that minute, you know, short form thing, I think lends itself to his kind of, um, the, what we have with him now with things like Zodiac and Gone Girl and films that are, like modern classics seven seven obviously his like first you know mainstream hit Mm -hmm. um but for me like david fincher is like the consummate modern filmmaker not just an aesthetic but um in the way he captures stories and um yeah i'm so excited for us to dig into one of his films because we haven't yet and i hope we get to do more of it he just has so many signature facets to his filmmaking that are really easy to point out, so it makes for a good conversation, right? Because what are your, what are your, off the bat, what do you love about Fincher? What are your thoughts? I, I, I um, first, I think it's a, I think it's cool that we here we are opening our second season with another one of the directors that we would both be able to put on our Rushmore plus one easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And 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 
I think that he's so different than some of the other filmmakers that we really like because he does, uh, you know, most of the people that we're really into shoot on film and it's like this whole thing. He's and, a modern filmmaker. He absolutely is. He's all he wants. You can tell that he's trying to make a, like a modern film. And a lot of times when you make modern films, um, you have they, they don't hold up. Like I think of movies from like the eighties and nineties. I, I don't know, like something like total recall pops into mind. Like again, it, you know, not holding that up into a, like any level or whatever. And then like a couple of David Cronenberg, who is great, but a couple of his films, again, kind of trying to be modern and they don't hold up, but the way he does it is so fucking good. Cause he, he uses like traditional cinematic formats, you know, but he has this way of like, clipping stuff and 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 making a story move like really really move where you feel like you kind of hopped on like you i think of the hunter s thompson ticket uh uh quote excuse me buy the ticket take the ride like you're you're, you're like you sign up for it you put in a david fincher movie and you're gonna go somewhere it's gonna be a, a, a fucking ride you know what i mean I think that he has this inherent interest in darkness and almost normalizing it or making it palatable for the audience so that it's not like it's not uncomfortable, but it's like it's worth exploring. Like even when I watch something like um, uh, "Girl with the Dragon Tattoo" or something like that, like that movie's like super dark and everything, but it's like it, it's it's an experience that isn't too uncomfortable. Like I said, he just has a good way of normalizing um, modern palette, like darkness and and dark themes and questions of existential stuff i don't like zodiac is another great one of my favorite rainy day movies movies of all time my thing on the show is is the matinee right zodiac mm-hmm. oh Mount Rushmore matinee movies fuck yes fuck yes so good quite, dude quite possibly a future app like 100 percent. quite oh, possibly yeah a future app. so yeah. good yeah so let's let's talk about this the signature fincher things we got for me and for us that we talked about before, the tone, color, and palette. There's this steely fucking car commercially thing going on with a lot of Fincher's films, and especially in this one. Um, it's it's modern. We keep we're gonna keep we're gonna keep saying that word on today's episode. Yeah, it. Um, I think of again. There's so many. Weirdly, this film is. I'm pulling a lot of parallels to other films that we've done before but uh well no i think what he does is the saturation is pulled out yeah you can talk more to that please have your your time i mean no the color is it's simple the color saturation is just pulled out just like a little bit like you still get plenty of warmth you still get plenty of color but it's just the saturations pulled back a little bit and it makes everything feel like a little um like a little unsettling, but like, but not in a bad way, almost like in an exciting way, like a new car kind of a vibe. And I think I harken back to when we did uh, uh, Network and in the special features, yeah. they talked about how the, at the end of the movie, the production quality, it was lit like a, a Ford commercial. And you say these car commercials, it makes sense because he lights these things in this tone that make you that that, that feels really like it, it draws you in in a way. I I don't know. It makes you kind of want to be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's the same thing with House of Cards. You know, you get that. Opening I, I, that's, and I it, just went to the House of Cards page. That's crazy. You said that. Yeah. You know, and that that's that's the vibe that you get is like you kind of you you feel like you almost missed out on not being there. Do you know? 
you know what it is? And it's kind of, I'll find it. it we're going to do a Fincher Sorkin parallel. But for me, I think you know what it is? It's it's a cooler version of what you remember. Yeah. Of, of what you've cool... been a part of. Yeah. And so it's like, ah, oh, fuck. If I could have been there at Harvard at the beginning of Facebook, I would have talked that fast and that cool. And, like, I would have looked that dope in a Gap sweatshirt. And I wouldn't have, like, when I fucked up with that girl, it would have been so graceful. It, like, it makes memories much sexier than they actually are. I fucking love the way you put that. Yep, I, I'm into it. It's like a, it's like a like a sexy dream of the past. And it is kind of dreamlike. Yeah, it is kind of dreamlike too. Yes, which yes, absolutely, absolutely. I'm, you touched on the pacing too. Um, again, it just has this. His films just have a motor, and you're just kind of like latched on to the side, and you're immersed in this as we've established now, which I really love and excited about. It's a sexy kind of dream world of what you would have experienced in the scenario that the film is in, and the pacing is is. I wouldn't like characterize it as like exceptionally fast or anything, but it's deliberate and it's true to the story. Um, it's very, he just has a signature pace. It's just, you're along for the ride. Like you said. Yeah. And, and he, um, a good example of this, the whole thing is the, the, the opening sequence after, um, like after he's talking with Rooney Mara's character. Okay. So then he's in his dorm room starting when he opens the beer and you get the first timestamp, right? Yeah. That, that face mash sequence, if you will, is what I'll call it is a perfect example of what I mean when I say the pacing at a Fincher film, he can make you feel like you're in that, like all coffee, like getting shit done, shit's fucking moving, and you're it's going. It's and he he'll elapse through eventually. What is it? What almost six, eight, nine hours in that one montage, and and it's popping, and you hear the keyboards clicking, and the it's it's all it's just again it moves so fast. And the best example quickly is that this fucking movie is two hours long, and it feels like it's a goddamn episode of like a TV show. 45 like i it's swear to fast. god 45 minutes in i'm like it's just i don't know yeah it's crazy there's another big reason for that which we'll get to next oh oh but i want you wanted to touch on kind of the edge of tech edge of technology part of david fincher as a filmmaker that he's always kind of reaching towards that that modern stuff he shoots in digital you kind of reference the fact that a lot of filmmakers that we love 21st century filmmakers that we love they're about the they're preserving the past and classic stuff. Fucking cool and like, kids committee. Yeah. We fucking like it. David Fincher's like, fuck you. I want yeah. this to look cool and good. And like it was made in 2009. So maybe you can touch a little bit on that. Well, I mean, it was really, first off, just to say any of you like film buffs, which if you're listening to this, clearly you are. If you like this movie, fucking buy this particular edition and get in on these special yeah. features because these things are awesome and it was just really cool to learn that because we we were talking about how fincher feels so modern right but like not only does his film come off that way but the means he uses to capture his movies are also he's he's always trying to like have the best newest thing that that works um and like 
example, the camera that they used for this, like the processor was like brand new. It just came off the line and they, they had to do all these color tests and all these different tests with the cameras before they could even shoot the film. And, um, but the thing is shooting digital that you get, unlike shooting film, when you shoot film, you have a limited amount of film. You can't just, you can't just say, I've got a, a 10 minute sequence and I'm going to fucking film this. Oh, 500 times if I fucking need to. Yeah, if you want to go bankrupt and go over budget. But if you're running on a digital camera, that shit just saves as a file to a hard drive. And you can go through as much and as many and you can stop it. You can go and you can do whatever the fuck you want. And you can yell out to your fucking assistant director, uh, flag that one. That was a good one. And it's just marked in a hard drive somewhere. And it makes it makes it like the actors in the special feature said that and made it feel like a stage play atmosphere because they didn't feel like they were, Hey, what? So what if I fuck up the first take? Like, you know, I'm getting 30, you know, I'm getting 30 takes of this. Well, let's touch on the fact that in the special features in the opening scene, they literally do 99 takes, 99 takes, 99. And there's yeah. just a joke that they didn't do a hundred. Also, the assistant director is very visible and active. On the special features. That right. dude's working his ass off. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's it's a cool, it's cool, and and um, I think it's something you don't think about because it's really easy to kind of like fall in love with a certain kind of filmmaker and be like, oh yeah, I want to be a film snob. But, but at the yeah. same time, like, there are perks to doing it this way. And, you know, you could make a, 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 a case that you should just rehearse but as a filmmaker, because these guys, like, when you say technicality, like, these guys were getting down to where on an audio track, they are taking a syllable, a syllable of a word and splicing it in to an audio track to, to get the right emphasis. And they are split screen, taking a split screen of a fucking take to get one actor performing at their best and the other actor performing at their best. It's the the number of layers and, and edits and what they're doing it's insane to me. And, and you can tell there's a reason this movie is so fucking flawless. Like it's, there's a reason. It might it might be perfect. <laughs> it could fucking be perfect. Like it really could. I think this is a perfect yes. segue wait, into okay. uh, this week's screenwriter. Yes. Yo boy Chase is a mega Aaron Sorkin. Why? Because it is exhausting. Dating you is like dating a stairmaster. All I meant is that you're not likely to. Currently. I wasn't making a comment on your parents. I was just saying that you go to BU. I was stating a fact. That's all. And if it seemed rude, then of course I apologize. I have to go study. You don't have to study. Why do you keep saying it on When was you go to the BU? vote that made you president of the Aaron Sorkin fan club? What year was that? 2005, West Wing. When you, okay, when you discovered West Wing? Yes. I mean, yeah. Maybe discovered is a, a, hard, a weird word to use there. I think that it's really important. I'm glad that we brought up when we talked about Fincher's filmmaking that it's a sexy dream. And the yeah. reason that I love Aaron Sorkin's work, you know, A Few Good Men isn't my favorite film of all time. Moneyball might be one of my favorite films of all time. The West Ooh. Wing is unequivocally my favorite television program of all time. Uh, oh, shit. Okay. His, but his voice... It, it's how I wish I'd spoke. Like, super hyper-intelligent, articulate, also sexy, cool. Latent, latent really with fat, historical references. That you know me best. And, like, some uh, 
uh, like some musical references too, like some yeah. old Hollywood references. Yeah. Just like laden with references, um, really fast, never missing a beat. He's he's he writes the way I wish I spoke in my wildest dreams. Sure, and that's, and that's why I I am a big Sorkin fan. I also very much understand the problems with Sorkin <laughs> and, and, and enjoy talking about them as a fan. But as we just kind of highlighted some of his busy, his biggest highlights of his career, the thing that makes him his his calling card his 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 signature is the pace. It's so fucking fast. This wasn't in the special features that I got to, but over the years being a fan of this film, I've read that you know uh, Rooney Mara and Jesse Eisenberg read this the screenplay in a certain amount of time. I think it was like like. 26 pages or something arbitrary like that and Aaron Sorkin was just like cool great job you have to do that in literally half the time that you just did it yeah and the reason it's so popular and the reason it's cool is because everyone wishes they were that fucking smart and that their synapses were firing that fast yes and we I mean we are gonna have we have an example of, of of like the speed and quickness, especially of the Rooney Mara and and Jesse Eisenberg, right? So, bam. Yeah. Um, but but to to zero back on Sorkin, like it's also the minutia of what we're listening to, and every single word is slaved over. I love seeing Fincher and Sorkin work on that because as a as an Aaron Sorkin disciple, like I know that that's true. Um, I know that he slaves over every single word. And when I watch one of something that he's written, I know that every word, just like any novel you read or any other great, you know, writer, you know, every word is slaved over, but it's so crazy to be met with a director of the same sort of focus and value. Um, it's pretty astonishing. I think a big part of Sorkin's influence on this film is, is political. Let's get real. He's like a left-wing darling mouthpiece, if you will. And this movie is this movie is wrought with irony in retrospect. <laughs> the left wing faction of America hates this fucking movie if they understand what they're trying to say. But Aaron Sorkin is really capitalizing, excuse my language, on the freedom of thought on the freedom of one man's ambition. And it's interesting how, like I said, Aaron Sorkin, like, let's get real. He's NBC's poster boy. He's a left-wing mouthpiece. It's just, I think it's just, it ages so interestingly, not bad or poorly, but just so interestingly. It's such a, it's such a good conversation to have. Yeah. I mean, did I go on too long? I'm sorry. (laughs) No, you didn't. I mean, compared to an Aaron Sorkin conversation, that was pretty quick. Oh! <laughs> no, listen, listen, I, I'll get it out. I love, I do love Aaron Sorkin. I like, I do enjoy the, the vast majority of his work. It's just that sometimes it's like, I've never done speed, but sometimes I feel like I might need to in order to be able to like fucking keep up. Like it is moving fast and I'm... I'm a, you know, I'm a Southern boy, you know, I talk slow. So sometimes like I have trouble keeping up and, but, um, I think this, this movie, the pace of it is fast. Uh, but it's, it's like a, it's like a good, like a good game. Like you the, the back and forth between characters. There's a lot, 
and you get breaks. Like you get like reprieves. Now it's wall to wall dialogue or score through the whole fucking picture. But uh, no, I think you got a lot of points. And I think um, he finds himself. I think politics is a good way to write about things that are emotional and also try to like, I don't know, get, do, do something that you think might uh, make a difference, if you will, right? Like it's, it's something that gives merit and he finds himself in these situations like, you know, like this, this film operating, framing this story through depositions, right? And having like, cut through the depositions to flashbacks and then back to depositions and then having the audio of the depositions like narrate like chunks of the memories that we're watching. Like it's very, it's, he puts himself in situations to, to give these characters the most, right? That, I think that's I like what that. I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Again, kind of touched, we kind of touched on how it's a fucking amazing marriage, this director and this writer. It's really a match made in heaven. Um, yeah. Also, the cast contributes to the fact that this is kind of a cosmic moment in 21st century Hollywood. It's a cosmic picture. Yeah, dude. It's the. I mean, it's the right time, right cast, right subject matter. Like 100%. Like Facebook was it's, becoming such a thing, such a like a global thing, and it was. So many people loved it. So many people were using it then so many people were also at this time realizing that people were getting addicted to it and that there were downsides to it so you were pulling interest from so many different people right and like i said it's not that puff piece or that hate piece so it's pulling so many different people in to hear this origin story of facebook because it's really what this is yeah, I think that the to some of the Venture Sorkin thing is that this is a modern story about like hyper intelligent people mm, addressing mm-hmm. addressing like a global problem, and I couldn't think of a better pairing of writer and director to tackle that issue. And again, to kind of get more into the details of it, this cast is perfect. Like the like, could you imagine anyone else other than Jesse Eisenberg playing this role? Well, no. no, and that's why I that's why I used that word like cosmic before because it's just you get you get Eisenberg, you get Garfield, you get uh Hammer, you get just the, <laughs> <laughs> you get Timberlake, you get Rooney Mara in her part, you get all of these people in these roles, and it's just like once in a generation do you get a group of actors that are the right age nobody's reaching you know everybody feels natural they're all and it's a story that's about characters that are old enough and smart enough to to i i, I don't know you get where i'm coming from like it, yeah like if they like, were if any of these performers were like a year or two younger or older it would be weird but they're the perfect age they all look like they're from the same time they're speaking in a way that is believable yeah. and the story looks like you would remember it in a sexy dream like it's it does, all it's, this like cosmic perfection you know like when the opening credits come on and there's like the what is it the, is it paramount pictures whoever at columbia or something yeah, with yeah, the yeah. statue and you get the the guitar lick like you're like is this like is this gonna be like a college movie 
right? And you're like watching it. Kind it kind of is a college movie. It is, but right, but like you watch the opening scene and you're like, okay, this is this is different. And then that piano, that fucking piano kicks in a little later, and you're like, the whole tone changes, and it's like, okay, it sets a different road that this movie is gonna go down. Again, the score, which we're gonna do our, yeah, our own segment on later. It's another perfect piece of this concoction. It is, and the, the, actually, the, I was thinking angular, about that. This yeah. angular, dark thing played into delicate over uh, undertones. Like it's perfect. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. It's a, it's cosmic. Yeah, there. Should we do a little uh, cast analysis? A little Shibuya roll call? I think we should do a little one. Yeah, yeah. So let's start with our principal lead, Mister Jesse Eisenberg. It's almost as if he, I, I couldn't picture anyone else doing it. Like I just said, it's the best thing I've ever seen him do. It's obviously his flagship performance, but he, the snarkiness and edginess that he delivers his, his put downs with, uh, it's perfect. He also kind of looks like him, obviously, which doesn't hurt. Um, what are your thoughts? Um, I think that Jesse Eisenberg absolutely owns this fucking character. Like he owns this fucking character. He plays it right. And I think it, again, it's that go. I hate to keep using the word, but I, I use that word cosmic because it is, there's like this like uh serendipity to it. Like the way this all sure. works out, like you get Jesse Eisenberg, who is basically typecast to be this. for the rest of his life. <laughs> yeah. To, to be this. And this is his best kind of lane, if you will. And you get this movie comes along at the right age for him to take this role. And he fucking knocks it out of the park, man. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think a lot of my analysis for, for this is more about the way he gives the character life and the character, I think, because really I think what we should do is we should do Jesse Eisenberg and Mark Zuckerberg, right? Like, Shouldn't it be? Yeah. Because to me, I, I keep thinking like uh, the first thing I always think about is the sandals in the snow. Right. And it's like, you know, like you've you've met people who are just like so caught up that they ran outside with sandals in the snow. But they do a good job of pointing out that he's always wearing sandals and he's always wearing them in the snow. And it's like, that's a motherfucker who wants someone to think that they're so caught up that they ran out of the fucking house with sandals on all the fucking... Dude, it's snow on the ground, bro. And it's like, you're trying too hard. He like he doesn't only do that with snow, but when, when he gets caught up in the phantasm that is uh, Sean... What's his last name? Parker Barry. Uh, Sean, uh, Parker. Parker. Sean Parker. Sean Parker. And and Sean Parker kind of corrals him into getting a little slap back at a corporate America, and he sends his his new boy toy, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, into the meeting with sandals and a and a robe on to make it seem like he's barely trying, yep. and that he's doing this. He's toppling corporate America from his couch in a fucking robe with his hand in his pants, which yeah. isn't true. That's just yeah. not. This dude's worked fucking twenty four hours a day to do what they did yeah i mean like okay yes that's the that's the flesh of it right for so if we're gonna give a quick little analysis and i got one point about eisenberg that i'll get back to but to finish on zuckerberg from my point like okay 
just because you're brilliant doesn't mean you get to be an asshole. And you are an asshole. And I think, you know, Rashida Jones, I think, (laughs) yes, I think Rashida Jones' character is wrong about him being an asshole. I think, I don't think, it's easy to look back now, but I'm being completely fucking honest when I say that. When I was 19 or 20 years old, I really don't think that even if I had the ability to rank the hotness of the women that I went to school with, I wouldn't have done that because I would have known that it was inappropriate. I may like at night at that age, I may have very well fucking talked with my friends about girls that we went to school with being fucking hot or not. There would have been a threshold of like, I don't think I would have been intelligent enough to be like, this isn't right. But I would have been like, I'm just not doing this. Say something. Exactly. (laughs) Something would have stopped me. Yeah. But for an asshole, it does, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And I think that really what it truly is, is that he's trying hard for people. He's trying hard to make people think that he doesn't care that he knows that they think he's an asshole. That's what he wants. He wants them to think he doesn't care that he's an asshole, but he does. That's what he's trying to do. I think that Eisenberg's performance personifies that paradox. And it I does. think it's so special. I can't believe he wasn't, was he nominated? I think he did get a nom, but maybe not. Maybe not. He should have been. Let me look it up on the IMDb. Yeah, give, I mean, but... Give me some spin before we move on to our next... I'll person. give you some fucking spin. What I'm going to say is I said that Eisenberg owns this character, and all that said about how I really don't like Mark Zuckerberg and parts of me just, like, detest everything about this whole thing. Uh, this fucking guy knows how to own somebody in this fucking movie, right? And we're going to get to that a little later, but, like... You just got, I mean, he fucking, he knows how to do it. He knows how to. Especially to, put through the mouthpiece of Aaron Sorkin. It's a great fucking watch. <laughs> I know. The, the, that's a good, that's a good, that's another good, like, cosmic pairing. Sorkin and fucking Eisenberg. Like, just. And, well, um, Sorkin, Eisenberg, but also the sexy memory of Zuckerberg des- so, deposition. Yeah, through <laughs> like, Zuckerberg. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's perfect. A, uh, dude, we are creating a fucking. Frankenstein of awesome. Mm. He uh, he was nominated for an Academy Award for the role as he should have been. It was yeah. Who impressive. who beat him? Who beat him that year? Come on, if you just look it up, it's right on the tips of your finger. Who beat him? Who beat him? It would be Academy Award. Anyway, those damn sandals in the snow. I can't get over that man. That's fucking. I mean, I I do like the choice of sandals, but I just don't like. I can't. I can't do it. I just looked it up and it said Clark Gable. Clark Gable won. All right. That was a deserving. Okay, let's move along. Woo. Okay, cool. Call it quits. Garfield loves lasagna. <laughs> Dude. Okay. I just like Andrew Garfield. Me too. Me too. Cool fact. I'm kind of an ignorant person sometimes, and I had no clue that he was British until I watched some special features. No clue. He was. He's British, but I'm pretty sure he was like, Raised in L.A. Well, he's got a thick one, boy. I'll tell you that. His character, Andrew Garfield's character in this film is like, is probably the most dynamic. He go, <laughs> this dude goes through some shit. Yeah, I mean, okay, saying it right now, I'm bringing it back. Andrew Garfield face acting award of this. Ooh, bring episode. it on! Yes, okay. he gets the face acting award. There are some notables though. Okay. 
My favorite I, notable is whoever the chick is who's playing Shan, uh, Shannon, who comes to the door with Sean uh, Parker. And he's like, this is my uh, Shannon. And the eye roll she gives him, I'm like, go get him, girl. Uh, just so we could like move on with our lives and you're not too pissed off. Colin Firth beat out Jesse Eisenberg. The fucking oh, King Okay, that was what a pretty it? fucking epic performance. Just saying. Uh, not a big fan. We'll get to that in another episode. Jeffrey Rush was better than him in that movie, though. I think that uh, Edward Saverin's character. So we 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 kind of see the Tinklevoss twins as adversaries and just like uh, annoyances, like gnats in this story. Like, get the fuck out of here! Like, you guys don't deserve a seat at the table. But Eduardo is a little naive. He 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 gets what he gets because he deserves it. He he's the business manager and he makes a business mistake. Like he kind of fucks up, but his best friend also definitely takes advantage of him. Um and I think Andrew Garfield's portrayal of that betrayal is uh, it's great. I I really like him. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I, I, that's why I give the face acting award because he he really like shit his face and Throughout the film, really, he carries the emotion in mm. this movie. I mean, because you don't get much off of Zuckerberg. You don't no. get much. All you get off of the only kind of emotion you get off Parker is like the, the emotion of a con man or toward the end of the film when he's like coked the fuck out. You know, he, Eduardo really is the person who's carrying the emotion of this film. He's the good friend. He's the, you know, Mark doesn't tell him about the cease and assist and desist order and um he he you know sits down and he tells him like you know listen like you can come to me like we're in this together i'm here to help you and it like garfield does such a good job of making that sound like sincere and like tender like he's being legitimate like we're friends we're on the cusp of this really potentially big idea that we're starting to understand how big it is and you can come to me. We can make this work no matter what, you know? And I think he, shit, I guess you really come away th looking at, at, you know, at Eduardo as the principled, you know, character, I guess. The one that I you think, come I think his, to. I think his arc is the one that you identify with the most. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But he still gets it, paid. He's also, I would say, arguably the most handsome upgrade from Hollywood's version. Um, and also, I mean, is it possible that Eisenberg is a slight downgrade from Zuckerberg? I mean, is that is that possible? That dude looks like a lizard king. There's no way. I guess you're right. What's in the special features? That's what Sorkin says. He says, man, this is a handsome cast. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it is. It's a, it's a very, to steal a line from you, it's a Hollywood picture. It's a Hollywood motion picture. There we go. There we go. Sometimes when you make a Hollywood motion picture, you need a Hollywood music star to make the show pop. And for this program, we got JT. Oh, dude. I, okay. Oh, can I start? Yes, you can start. I love Justin Timberlake just as much as the next Red Bullet American. Uh, have, have you seen Just in Time? Have you seen Friends with Benefits? He's fine. Unfortunately, I feel like Justin Timberlake's performance in this film is like the black spot, if there was one. I think it's bad. Ah, I disagree. I disagree. I was actually going to say that 
I thought it was genius to cast him to play this guy. Let's because, talk about how it was. Yeah. Because at the time that Sh- Sean Barry or Sean, <laughs> see, Why I know you keep doing that. Dude, hey, listen, Sean, Sean Barry, for whatever reason, if you're out there, I, I don't even know if we ever really fucking met, but I heard your name through the grapevine. I'm sure you're a nice guy, but I don't know why you're not in this movie. But anyway, Sean Parker, 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 Parker. Okay. At that time, to some like computer coding kids that would have been in high school in like 1999, he would have been like the shit and he would have had all the sway. He was rich. He was, everybody fucking knew him. He was like a little, you know, tech celebrity. You know what I mean? And I think it was genius to cast Justin Timberlake in this role because who better than like an ex pop star? that like girls swoon over and like he's the per- it's so believable to have him come in 20 minutes late to a meeting and know the waitress's name you know what i mean like he's that guy he and feels like ir- that fucking guy and the irony of the fact that the guy portraying the guy that had the huge influence on the music industry did like for the love of god can we just set this straight he didn't take down the music thank industry thank you he ch- thank you thank you he changed it but changed being portrayed it. by like top three biggest pop stars on the planet at the time who was in a boy band of the late 90s who was directly influenced by the actions of the person he's he's portraying is fucking smart it has to be deliberate right oh i mean it i mean it i it's got it had to have been their first choice right like yeah at least at least say that right like yeah fucking just because he'd already done that one movie what is it Oh, shit. Just in time. No. Friends with benefits? No, the the seer. Oh, Alpha Dog, right? Didn't he do that? Oh, one? the shit. like that was before like, that, right? Gang, white trash movies. I don't. I don't even. I don't even think I watched it. I yeah. Listen, we already fumbled through the 2011 Oscars. Let's not like fumble <laughs> through Alpha Dog. Yeah. Moving Alpha. on. Uh, sorry, we have to go there. I know it's a little bit topical, but Army Hammer in the special features destroys a double rare cheeseburger <laughs> very rare cheeseburger maybe we just noticed in light of recent ah! events dude i was dying <laughs> a new meaning to i like him bloody he just kept saying he was like it was so juicy <laughs> so juicy uh army hammer as so annoying as fuck and a rich prick in the movie and i pretty sure he's that in real life so that's kind yeah. of where I start army <laughs> i mean the only thing i'll say about again i just is it just it's just good casting i mean he yeah well as like affluent harvard guys I'm six foot five and 220 and there's two of me i know but uh, uh because we're gentlemen of harvard like <laughs> get out of here both of those quotes are very believable yeah, absolutely. Oh, shout out to Josh Pence, right? The guy who literally oh, man. that like those dudes had to act everything that everybody else did twice, and What's it, they had to explain that for the listeners. Yes, take it so, away, bro. So casting wasn't sure if they wanted to have fraternal twins or identical twins, so they casted two guys for screen testing, and they were both beautiful, six foot five, over two hundred pound specimens adonises and they decided it would be more effective to have identical twins 
sense. But they needed a stand-in to do this futuristic New Age face mapping throughout the film. They chose Army Hammer. Unfortunately, the other actor, what's his name? Josh Pence. Josh Pence filmed every scene that there are two Tinklevoss twins in so that they could perform the face mapping on the character. He does get a cameo after Eduardo and Mark get their little play in the bathroom at the club. He steps in, tries to go to the bathroom, and like there, there are some girls getting ready in there. He's like, <laughs> sweet. Sweet. He does get some FaceTime. But the poor guy auditioned for this big Fincher Sorkin film, gets cast, and then just has to like not be seen in the entire movie. Yeah, it does suck, and you could all... I mean, let's get real. It was pretty fucking clear in the, the special features. He was a little bitter about it. It was pretty fucking clear. It's kind of awkward, yeah. Also, I will say my one dark spot, as you would say, with Timberlake's performance is I wish they would have... I wish they would have just not made them identical tins, twins. I really do. It would. I, I just think that that was the one weak spot of the movie for me because there are a couple of times where it's just so fucking obvious and it bothers me just a little bit. And it's like, I just, it just it, would have been better. It bothered you know? me rewatching it now and after watching the special features and them kind of detailing the technological journey of doing that. I don't know if I would have noticed it as much, but it definitely, I, I see your point of view for sure. Yeah. Let's, anyway. Uh, Let's throw it up to the ladies. Yes, let's do. Rudy Mara has a very small timestamp on this film, but she's she's fantastic. Like mm-hmm. the first scene of the film might be one of the three or four most important scenes of the entire film, and she's so good. She's so fucking good. She yeah, plays she... with that with that Sorkin screenplay, and Eisenberg obviously thrives in that kind of environment, and she holds her own. And and later in the film when uh, Zuckerberg is kind of on his arc and has a chance to have redemption again. Ed's girlfriend, and he sees her out at the restaurant. I don't know. She, she's the per- she was the perfect actress for that for that role. I agree. I mean, it, you know, obviously it set off a career with uh, Fincher for her. But um, yeah. I think main thing I think about when I think about her performance is you know besides the fact that her character does get treated like shit which is one of the main proof one of the main pieces of proof that Mark Zuckerberg's character was actually indeed an asshole uh, she's also the only character in the film that, that fucking owns him I mean it's usually other people on the other end of that I mean you could make a case that Eduardo you know kind of gets him at the end by slamming his computer. But again, that's just, that's not really like, you know, she's the one that she's the only person in this film that gets a dagger in that motherfucker. And he stays like, at least in the story, the fictionalized version, like they do a great job of like using that device because I mean, shit at the end of the film, the film closes with him having sent her a friend request and sitting there literally and hitting refresh, refresh. It's like refresh. It's like the most realistic part of the movie. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, it's well, literally, I'm sorry. You've been in a committed relationship for like 10 years. Sure. I feel you. But we've literally every single fucking human being listening to this podcast has done that. Or at least with one stroke. Fred requested the next. And the fact that the man who invented the fucking thing is doing it. I think it's great writing. It is. It, no, it absolutely is because again, like 
what I'm telling you, this film is so relevant to the Facebook story because what we were talking about, like, okay, there are films that are relevant, that stay relevant after their time, and there are films that don't. This is a film that does. This, But this one has something that most films don't compete with, and it's that the, their subject matter changed in dynamics so much from the time that the, the fucking film came out. Now Facebook yeah. is a completely goddamn different thing. Like, you can see... Is Facebook Z irrelevant? I mean, Zuckerberg stays <laughs> like a... Like a he he like gets made out almost like a kind of a, a glorified at fighting the like advertising on there on his platform. Like, no, I don't want that shit on there. That's not yeah. Cool. Look at look at it now. Look at it fucking now. It's nothing but a fucking shopping store, you know. Yeah. And but uh, I think store. I mean shopping center. Sorry, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just think um, I don't know. I think the vanity. That's why it stays relevant is because it centers on the vanity and the loneliness. That's what Facebook is. Facebook is it, it is, he cre yeah. he created it to prey on your psyche. And social media is that's what it all is. It's, it's, it preys on your psyche. It's you hit that refresh, you get the little notification, and you get the endorphins in your brain, and you feel this a little bit better. But you don't really feel a little bit better, but you do. That's social media, and he, yeah. he he's susceptible too. And I do think that that's beautiful fucking writing. Like it's absolutely, a, it's a lonely tool forged from the brain of a lonely man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. The other example of kind of uh, the creators of this thing who are of the time of their device being affected by those things is when uh, Eduardo's girlfriend comes in and is grilling him on his relationship status. It's like, dude, you invented the website. And like, we've all been there. Like that yeah. conversation is real. Yes, it is real. It is absolutely real. And I am absolutely that guy right there. Like, I don't know how to change it. I literally don't know how to change it. Your name's on the masthead. I don't know how to change it. <laughs> oh, God. That's funny. So funny. Yeah. I think the last big part of... Uh, serious overreaching faction of a discussion about this film is something that inspires me and excites me and i think is um violently unique and that's the score Yeah, I mean, I look, I'm going to give my little bit and I'll let you go on because I do think oh, that, man. I mean, basically, I just think it's amazing when it, it, as a person who loves film and movies of just all kind, it's so goddamn amazing when an original score comes up with such a good film and they pair together and you get that piece because it makes all the difference in the world. And again, I already mentioned it. We picked our season opener for the, when we started this podcast, we picked there will be blood. And there's no doubt. One of the main reasons we love that fucking film so much is because it's one of the best scores. And quite frankly, I would say, you know what that was, I got two years earlier than this one. Those, I mean, that, Johnny Greenwood score and this, uh, you know, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross score. The, the, these are two of the best scores in my lifetime. Like I, I would, 
have no doubt putting them up there. I mean, this is a fucking fantastic score. It's got this, it feels like electronic, but not like in a cheesy way, you know? So it ties into this like idea of, of, you know, of, you know, they're this, these new cutting edge business people, this new generation coming on, right? It feels that way, but then there's this other thing that it does for me. And I want to hear your thoughts, but it, it acts as like this, like it, it's like the uh, it like it's it's the idea of Facebook, like the the abstract little floating idea that is Facebook. I mean, Facebook is a name, but this idea of the social network, this 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 thing that you log on to and you you like do the self celebration. You know, and you like post the menu, like when it became things like burritos, like uh, eating a burrito at Fat City, see you on Tuesdays, what's up, I love sour cream, hashtag, you know, it, it, it represents this like, I mean, lastly, I'll just say like example is when, um, like when he posts that face mash, the second half of that sequence, when he, when he launches it and, and Wardo says to him like, are you sure that we should be doing this? Doesn't this feel like a little, I don't know. And he just kind of gives him that look and he like the sights live. And then that, that sound kicks in. It fucking feels sinister because what's happening is wrong. And you can see it's like this idea that's like formulating in his head as he moves along. And it, I don't know. I just love this score. I think you brought up some great points. I think what the score does for me is it's kind of this, um, I feel like it's a picture of not necessarily Zuckerberg's brain, but it's kind of the the um, soundtrack to the process of understanding the breadth of what social media is. And I think you I'm just going to kind of echo what you say, but maybe say it in a different way is there's this like delusion of innocence and this perversion of innocence, this um, uh, it's being taken advantage of and it's represented in these delicacies and these piano parts and these softness and these kind of turns of melody and the score. But the overreaching majority of the score is angular and metallic and it is calculated. And like you said, it invokes sort of evil. Um, and I think it it's this it's serendipity that the score like this is paired with writing like this and direction like this and performing like this. I think it's we talked to like how this this film is a special moment um, and you can't overstate the impact of the score. This film is I I'm sure if you calculated the seconds in this film where there weren't words being spoken, it would be less than a couple minutes. It's quite, quite possibly seriously quite. Possibly. It might be less than two minutes, but that being said, the score never ceases to be present either. And the fact that I think the score represents an evolution of an idea. And I think the score represents that this is a fucking hyper intelligent environment. Not only Zuckerberg being a hyper intelligent person, but the kind of players that are involved. And I think the score represents this never ending thing thought this never-ending ambition and like we've both referenced in our analysis of it that never-ending ambition is both angular and a toe dipped in the darkness and and um uh, manipulation and ambition and success but it's also 
what are you manipulating and what are you looking to capitalize on? You're looking to, to manipulate and capitalize innocence and innate human desire. And I think this score makes me feel, it inspires me uh, because I think it achieves those things. And it's, 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 I think it's astonishing. Um, And the little special features, the mini doc on it is one of my favorite things I've watched in the past six months. And I sound really serious and sincere in that. And it's because I am. That shit moved me. Yeah, it's it's it is fucking dope. I mean, and and a couple little things, two two things I love about the 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 score. Aside from what we just were talking about, is like that primal feeling it has. Like it does. It yeah. feels like it's almost like the set. Some of the sounds you hear in this film like sound like what you would want it to sound like when your soul leaves your body. You know, like when you die. Like you just finished the last episode of Dharma and Greg and the. Chips yeah. are gone. <laughs> <laughs> We're bringing it all back home. Dumb and Greg. Um, okay, last couple, last thing about the, uh, the I love the use of the, uh, in the Hall of the Mountain King, man. Like that yeah, shit that vibes me so hard with that boat race. It's so good. So, and the editors, the film editors, like chef's kiss to you for like a beautiful job of like timing that like it's it's so fucking good so good so that's my that's my thing about the score i'll say i think we've given an ode to the score i'm serious about my adoration for it it's it's one of my favorite pieces of music i think ever <laughs> it it's really dope to me I mean, I've listened to it a couple of times myself. Like just the just the score. It's it's uh, it's really good. Yeah. yeah. Let's 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 bring it back up a few notches of lightness. Let's do our list for this episode. Ooh, we get into some listings. Okay, so this episode is about power. Uh. This this film is about owning people. It's about oh, one. Uh. It's about speaking in a sexy, fast-paced tone. It's uh. about being remembered. As someone who's in control. So we thought there'd be no better way for this week's episode to be a list of our top favorite burns of the social I network. Your attention. I think if your clients want to sit on my shoulders and call themselves tall, they have a right to give it a try. But there's no requirement that I enjoy sitting here listening to people lie. You have part of my attention. You have the minimum amount. The rest of my attention is back at the offices of Facebook, where my colleagues and I are doing things that no one in this room, including and especially your clients, are intellectually or creatively capable of doing. Joshua, kick it off, my brother. Burns. My number three favorite burn is a subtle burn, and it's a burn that I would do if I were trying to burn someone, no doubt. And they're in the deposition, and Eduardo's lawyer is going through the money he invested. And she said, so $1,000, the initial investment, plus another $18,000. So if my math is correct, that's $19,000. Cut, sharp cut, Zuckerberg, pen, to paper. Hold on, let me check your math. Scribble, 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 scribble. Yes, that's correct. I fucking love that shit, dude. That's something I would do if I was pissed off at someone and I'd be like, let me double check your math. Yes, actually, it is 32. I would only, be that only in dreams. Oh. Um, you're I happen to know what your picks are, and you picked the best ones. So oh, I can't. come on. Sorry, man. Um, I love uh, for my Give third me your one, I guess, heart. 
I guess three for Dale. <laughs> Give me your Dale the, Earnhardt. The third I'll pick um, is if uh, when the they first launch face mash and it crashes the Harvard EDU net and Zuckerberg is called into like a hearing, which is like small potatoes compared to what it ends up to. But there's kind of like this. Uh, that's a reoccurring theme. He's always in a room getting in trouble and talking his way out of it. And he says to the guy who's woken up in the middle of the night and it's like, I actually I'm the head of security at Harvard and uh, I can assure you of the sophistication of our programs. And Zuckerberg says, yeah, if you would have known what you were looking for, you would have seen it written on my dorm room window. <laughs> I know. It, like, literally. It literally. Literally. The on the window. So I, I'll take that as number three. That's a good one. That's a fucking good. I mean, he's seriously, this guy, this character has like a fucking in, like crazy inherent ability to punk someone down and to like own them. But my number two is actually Eduardo. And it might be my juiciest, favoritest fucking moment of the whole movie. Because I got to tell you guys, I fucking hate Sean Parker's character in this fucking film. He is like the antithesis of everything that I would want to be. He's like everything that I'd like loathe. That like con man fucking wanna be bullshit. Ah, I can't stand it. Anyway, the end of the movie... Eduardo and and Mark have just had their big fucking dramatic moment and fucking Parker's there and he's trying to be all like Mr. Cool and like own the situation and act like he orchestrated everything. And as Eduardo's walking away, finally, he's like, oh, wait, one second. And here's the part that kills me. He's like looking back at Mark, like pay attention to this. Watch what happens, right? And he pulls the check out, and he's like, oh, here's the $19,000, but I wouldn't uh, cash the check because I drew it from the account that you fr- you froze. And fucking Wardo just draws back and, like, <laughs> and punks him so bad, dude, drops back, like, cringes like a little boy, and, like, oh, it's so, like, freaked out. It's great. And, like... Uh, what is what? What does Eduardo say? Oh, I love standing next to you because I I look so tough. Like you're, yeah. he's such a bitch. And then juicier. A couple minutes later, he gets popped up by the fucking cops, and oh he my like God. Fuck pull Sean out Parker. your pull out your pockets, and he's got a fucking epipen and an inhaler. It's like, dude, you're not tough. You're not fucking tough. Try, please stop trying to act that way. Sorry, number and, two for you. Well, real quick, I want to touch oh, on. Yes, please. Sorry. After the after that scene when Mark kind of sees Sean for what he is. Because he yes. calls him and Sean's coked up and paranoid. Yeah. And everyone's been yeah. warning Mark that he's a paranoid dude. Not just because of the coke, but I think inherently. And yep. you see that on Mark's face where he's like, oh, fuck it. What I was right. Everyone yep. was right. Yeah. Like, this guy helped me get here. There's no doubt. Yeah. But, like, fuck this guy. Anyway, number two for... What, thought? Yeah, it's just a thought. Because, like, I'm just sitting here. Look, I'm doing this podcast with one of my best friends. And I'm sitting there thinking... Like you want, there's so much debate about this movie. It's like, is this guy an asshole? Does it make him out to be? It's like, I'm sorry. It's just so fucked up that you were friends with that guy that you would call him your best friend at the time. And you're going to fuck him over the way he fucked him over with those contracts and the way he stole his shares. That is so like, I understand that. I understand that Eduardo shouldn't have signed the contracts, but I'm sorry. I just couldn't hold it in anymore. I'm like looking at you and I'm like, there's no way I could do that to a friend of mine. Like there's no fucking way. No way. No way. Sorry. Number two, number two for me. Um, that one's kind of weak. 
Okay, I'll do. Uh, so the the Tinklevoss twins are kind of hanging over their privilege in the deposition, and Mark has this great zing back, and he says, "I do, he is what he essentially says is I don't give a fuck about your privilege in the Phoenix Club." And the quote is, I, right now, I could buy the Phoenix Club right now and turn it into my own personal ping pong room. I don't give a fuck about your claim on on intellectual property. Like, I'm going to write, I know I'm writing you a check, a, a lawsuit out of court. Like, I know that's happening. I don't give a fuck about you, man. Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. a billionaire. I'll, they, I could turn, I could turn your, uh, your small little club that is, makes you feel privileged and like you're great in the world. I could buy it and turn it into my own personal ping pong room. Fuck off. And that's number the, two for me. Yeah. It's a great one. And it's a good, I mean, really, because it really, and again, this goes back to that Aaron Sorkin writing because well, and the consultation with Fincher and all the actors that they did because it packs every so much into every little thing because he says that and it's like you start thinking about that and you're like, oh, shit. Like, because to me, right, to me, kids that are in one of those final clubs in, at Harvard, like, that's like the most – that those are like the upper class, like, people I would never in a million years – want to be like or dream to be like right and this dude is worth so much money that he could buy their clubhouse that all of their collective members contribute to and he could do it and he just waited he's not paying attention at all no he doesn't give a fuck well i you could say that that's a good segue into my number one and it is he, when he is asked by the Winklevi lawyer if uh, he has Mr. Zuckerberg's attention, and he tells him no, and he say, you know, and he tells him, no, you don't. My attention's back at Facebook, and where we're doing things that uh, you can't do, and it's it's fucking. And no, you don't have my attention. Fuck no. you. I'm- my attention is back at the no. offices of Facebook where we're changing the fucking world. Yes. 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 Uh, my my number one's kind of a piggyback on the moment. I think we just hate the Tickleboss twins and we're just ganging up on them because my number one is, quote, if you could have invented Facebook, you would have invented Facebook. And that's an attack on their claim of, again, intellectual property and their smarmy fucking shithead third party dude who's in their thing. Like, you guys are pissed you didn't get your way. In reality, you failed as businessmen. You fucked up. You were had by some dude sitting in your lobby. If you could have invented Facebook, you would have. And you didn't. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Mm-hmm. I did. Here's like a pension. Fuck off. Yep. That's it. I mean, it really is. That's when you're like, that basically culminates everything. Like, the one from me, the my number one is like a little, it, it's also a little condescending of him. You know? Your number one is really like summarizes that whole thing with the Winklevi. Like, seriously, if you had, if you, if you could have, you would have. Like, you know, we wouldn't be sitting yeah. here. You know, yeah, it really is that simple. And what, it, what, it, what did, what did they get? They got money. They got money, and that's all they, they ever care about. Yeah, they got a lot of it's it. Like, yeah, more than that, I could ever dream of. Yeah, which I don't know. That's one of the things about this movie. I was like thinking about it. Like, this is like the phrase lifestyles 
and the, of the rich and the shameless kept popping into my head like these people <laughs> lifestyles of the rich and the famous yeah dude like it's come Charlotte. on it's so ah it just kills me it's like these guys champagne wishes and caviar dreams oh lord i don't know if this if if harvard is in the ivy league it wait hold on if this is harvard and Harvard is in the Ivy League, and the Ivy League is where the people who do most of the shit in our government come from. I don't fucking like them. I think they're douchebags. Like, most of them. I don't disagree. I think that's a nice segue, and uh, I think we're going to let the dog off the leash here. Oh, we, it's barking. Before we get to a mailbag segment. Uh, what's the last song in this film? How does it feel to oh, be yeah. one of the beautiful people? Obviously, it ends with the Beatles song, Baby, You're a Rich Man, off Magical Mystery Tour. But it's perfect. It's kind of this like nonchalant, cartoonish. You're fucking... We you know what happens at the end of this? You're going to be fine, and you're fucking loaded. Yeah. And it's a, it's a moment I love. The other moment I love is the Sorkin cameo, when Eduardo and Mark are... Uh, doing meetings around New York, trying to get ad investors for their website, and guess who's the one meeting we get to see a, a glimpse into? It's our writer, Aaron Sorkin. Mr. And, Sorkin. Uh, and Mark Zuckerberg is uh, falling asleep and making some weird fucking clicking noise, and Aaron Sorkin's his only line is, what is that? What's that noise he's making? <laughs> it's great. His, yeah. his fucking South Beach tan and his tweed suit. Love it. Um... Couple of things I love. So Harvard really sandbagged production of this film. They did not want them to film there. And one of the like the one of the main clips they got from Harvard is the opening shot where he's like going past these arches. And um in order to get the lighting on the arches, they snuck a mime in there with like a battery operated light rig and like Fincher hired him to like go in there and they were talking about how it was fun that they were working on this big ass production, but they were still like doing shit that they would have done in like yeah, film yeah, school. Yeah. That's yeah. one of my favorite parts uh, to, to hear about that. But um, another little shout out, Larry Summers, former track. Uh, what is it? Tra- secretary of the treasury that has like a little acting. You, you he's not in it, but his character, right? Yeah. Uh, and is he the punch dean me of in the face? Yes. Dude, I had that written down. It was one of my favorite quotes. Good one. So good. Um, I guess I wanted to also touch on what I have written down is fake cold breath, fake face mapping, fake snow, Henley on the Thames scene. Like the, again, like the technology stuff, like watching it now in my home, in my living room, it's like there's some like digital altering going on here that when I was... 18, 19 years old when I watched it, I just took it at face value and it was the sexy David Fincher dream movie. Um, and when they relocate out of Boston back to California and it's and you watch the special features and you understand that the snow's fake and you see that like the breath is is artificial. I don't know. I just wanted to touch on it. And I think it's I don't know. I just that's all. Yeah, it's it's one of the risks you run when you make these when you make films with cutting edge technology you don't you know, know how you don't know how that technology will age it's just one of the risks that you run i mean 
That's why, okay. Look at Star Wars. Does that look like modern? Do we love watching it? No. Yes. <laughs> like, it's yeah. okay. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, I mean, and, and you could even make an arguable case, I mean, a case for Star Wars. I mean, pre-computer generated, it really, is what I mean. I mean, I would, like, look at 2001. There's no... There's no computer graphics in that, but when you watch it like today in your living room on the big TV with the good sound, like you're still looking at that like that. I don't know what fucking space looks like, but that's pretty I'll fucking close. I yeah. mean, yeah. So I think there's something to be said about that. But once you get into computer generated shit, it's like you take a risk. Like, what does a Jurassic Park movie look like nowadays? What's the new Jurassic Park movie is going to look like in seven years from now? It, so you always run in that I haven't risk. I've seen the new ones. Not going to see the new ones. Sure. I don't care. I just think, well, and I mean, I'm just using those as an example, but like you that what he does do right is he uses it very seldomly and just, se- it just subtly, works. Even know? if it ages and it kind of sticks out as it ages, it'll be a part of the, the overall aesthetic of the experience of the film. Sure. It'll be a 2010 film. And it will be, it will make sense to be in a Boston campus and there's a breath of fresh air. It'll just, it'll make sense. Yeah, it will. It absolutely will. It will. And I think, I mean, I think this, oh, this movie's definitely going to fucking age. Like there's, oh, the, God. Yeah. it's going to do fine. I mean, I think, I think it'll be around. It'll be, it'll be good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think one more thing that I want to shout out is I love, <laughs> I just, Again, I find I like it's like I have this like love hate relationship with this Zuckerberg character because I love how like like smartassness he can be. Like he's just I don't know, it's so sharp and I love when they're at the like fucking shitty uh fraternity party and he's like I can't look at this endless loop of Niagara Falls that has Falls nothing to do nothing to do with Caribbean. Nothing night. to do with the Caribbean. And it's like he's just like I gotta get the fuck out of here. I can't take it. And it's like I appreciate that. that yeah, cheesy shit. Oh. What do you you got some final thoughts on the film? Uh, no, I think, I mean, it's just a movie of its time, and it really is damn near flawless. Like there are some things like we've pointed <laughs> it out. Might be perfect, yeah. But it it's fucking good, and it's again, I just love you. You cannot say enough when a movie is two hours long, but it feels shorter. Like it, it just and this movie it's it blows my mind every time I'm like this fucking it was two hours ago when I fucking started this because it, it, there's no like chunks in the film it just blends and fucking moves you know I don't think from 2010 to 2020 there is a there might be a better film but I don't think there's a more important or contextually poignant film than this one and we'll I can see. say that definitively. Yeah, I've still got a couple to watch, but I'm gonna get I'm gonna get on it. But it, this one's fucking there, man. I'm not even joking. Like this movie is is legit. Um, but anyway, you want to do a couple of questions? Okay, we're gonna reinvigorate a segment we started on season one. It's gonna be a tradition from now on. Josh, this is your thing, my brother. Let's answer some questions. Let's open up the digest show mailbag. 
Yeah, this uh, this one comes from a uh, listener on Instagram. Shout out, you'll know the question if it's yours. Uh, why make a personal issue between Mark and Eduardo when there wasn't one in real life? Can That's the question. Yeah, go ahead. Take it away. Because it's a movie and personal conflict is the crux of every great story. That is correct. And that is whether or not answer. whether or not that happened or not, which that's cool that you know that. I don't know who you are or that you <laughs> have that inside scoop, but like we're watching a movie and is everything factually correct? No, and I accept that. And that's not why I'm watching a film. When I want to when I want factually correct information in its entirety, I go and watch a documentary or I read a book. Um Ooh, somebody's getting a little salty. I just don't like questions like that. Like, you know what you're getting. Like, like, sorry. Sorry. Yes, I understand. Uh, however, the movie is based on a nonfiction work. So there is that. And I would say... Cool, so we just wrapped that up. I mean, I mean, what I was going to say is, look, you're right. At the end of the day, it's a movie, but... I think my comment would be from looking at what I could see, the people who dispute the accuracy of this movie, most of them just say that Zuckerberg didn't party as much as he's shown to. And I don't really think that the film does that. I think the film shows him as like a exceptionally focused individual from the moment that he conceives of the idea of the Facebook. Guess what? If the dialogue and the depositions wasn't exactly correct and Mark Zuckerberg was slightly less smart and funny and cutting, the movie wouldn't be as good. Yeah, so and if Eduardo didn't slam the laptop, like, yeah, if Eduardo didn't slam the laptop, we don't have an end to the movie. Okay, so, but anyway, we do appreciate your question. Thank you. Even yeah. though we, you know, <laughs> may have thrown you under the bus there a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate it. Uh, next question. Hey, look, that's what does it say? Welcome to the NFL, right? That's the quote from the movie. All right. Next question. Another Instagram submission. All of these are Instagram submissions. Funny. Owned by. Uh, this one is. Uh, I don't. I don't look. Sorry, I didn't prepare. I still do things on paper, and I did not prepare. So if if they're listening, they'll know their question. Uh. Did you know the story of Facebook before you saw the movie? For me, that's a hard no. I did not know this origin story. Uh, no. Like the first time I watched it in 2010? Yeah, before you watched the movie, did you know the origin story? I mean, it was pretty public. I'm, I'm, sure, mean, I, was, I'm sure I didn't. I mean, there was stuff in the there I was, was stuff in I was the news 19 about, years old. So. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Me either. We did not. It was a revelation. That's the answer. <laughs> and a good one. Okay. Now, the last question is a general question. It's just not about just, movies in but, general? Yeah, it's just for the podcast as okay. a whole. It's from uh, a listener from the season prior. Uh, it says that uh, Martin Scorsese says that Marvel films are not cinema. And they would like to know our opinion on that. What? Who wants to go first? <laughs> I'll say, I think, first off, look, there are films and there are movies. You can say that. But at the end of the day, like, 
all films or movies, maybe all movies aren't films, whatever you want to call it. Uh, really what there is, is there's good and there's bad. And I think when you make a film, if you know what the intention of what you're doing and you do, if you take yourself the right amount of serious, you're probably going to put out something that's good. And if you go into watching Die Hard and you think you're watching like some magnificent work of art, then you're mistaken. But if you go into Die Hard and you think, I want to watch like cool fucking action film and I want to have fun right now and get out of the real world for a little bit, you're probably going to have a good fucking time. And I think that's what the beauty of m movies is. And it's this medium. So for me, Fuck yeah, like bring Marvel on. I've enjoyed those fucking movies. I'm not a comic book like, like I'm not a big fan or anything. I don't know all the ins and outs of the stories, but the ones I've watched, I'm fucking there for it. I've watched all the Avenger ones. That, that shit is like, it's like a fucking epic soap opera. Like I'm, yeah, fucking this good storyline. Like that eh, fucking, let's save some humanity. Like let's fucking do that shit. Like I'm for it. I mean, so, I don't know. You know, I think it's all through what you see. That's all I want to say. But I am there for him. I think that Martin Scorsese is the most important filmmaker of the last 40 years. Yeah. But I think he's wrong. <laughs> I'm not I'm not into semantics of film, cinema, motion, yeah. fucking pictures. Like, I... I I, I don't... I'm not a huge fan of the Marvel films, but I do... I would say that I love them. Like I love, uh, yeah, yeah, I like them. I have so much. I went to go see Endgame in the theater, and I got emotional on the last scene, and it inspired me. And maybe want to like, it, yeah, fuck yeah, Marvel. <laughs> like Winter Soldier, fucking rules. That's Civil War yeah. is an awesome movie. Yeah, dude, like for sure, for sure. Like, yes, I love Marvel, and I like. I'm, I, I'm Josh, and I think are on the same level with those movies. Like I take them at face value. But also, like, Age of they're fucking great. Sucks. But they're great movies. But, like, like They're so they, fun. They, like, you also have to, like, but you cannot. The thing is, I don't want to, like, I, try, I I guess I didn't really articulate this part. Is like, the, there's, those are movie-making feats. Oh, my God. So, yeah. so, like, you have to give credit to that, too. Like, it's a different oh, kind that, of, it's like. It's amazing. Yeah, it and really the, is. And yeah. the way that, like, the Russo brothers... Like, like, just, just to com compare to the other comic book franchise, like, look how shitty and poorly received the DC movies are. Like, those movies suck. And look how good the Marvel, like, it's well, it's, the D, yeah, the DC universe movies are pretty. And like, I don't even think I've seen any of them. Actually, just to com just to compare, like, yeah, that's impressive. I'm pro Marvel, not like I'm not fucking. You, I'm not. I'm gonna say that on the gesture I was making on recorded microphone, but well, I'm not like a fanboy. But yeah, fuck yeah, have a great yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, I'm there. Uh, dude, season two, episode one. Yeah, I think we, I think we just took on a big a film. I think a big one. Uh, like a, a big I, a film. Like 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 a USA. Wait, that might be bleeding into what we got coming next for you. Sorry. Um, uh, anyway, uh, I think we, I think this was a, this is a season opener for sure. We both love this movie. It's easy for us to like really get into it. We love David Fincher. It's got some great performances, great writing, great score, just uh, lush. And uh, it's been a pleasure to be doing this with you again, dude. I'm excited to get into this shit. We got a good season coming up.
yeah, I'm excited for further conversations. I'm excited about our mailbag. I hope you all enjoyed that. And I think I don't think we could have picked a better film to start season two off with. Uh, my friend, raise a glass with me. Right here. To the birds. Hallelujah. And I'm going to go talk to the Tinkle Walls twins. Students are required to respect public and private ownership and instances of theft, misappropriation. And, yes, sir. Punch me in the face. Go ahead.